In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinner baits, buzz baits, and more from Jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out. Welcome to the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast on the Paddle and Fin Network. On this podcast, we'll be talking about life and kayak fishing. Every week, we'll have a special guest, whether it's a tournament angler, a content creator, or just a regular guy or girl who just loves to go kayak fishing. So grab a cold beer, sit back, and enjoy the show. Bass Kayak and Beers is sponsored in part by Douglas Rod. Go to douglasoutdoors.com to check out their full lineup and locate your nearest authorized dealer. Yak Gadget, made in America, based outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Yak Gadget offers all kinds of storage accessories, quick mount motor mounts, anchor systems, track mounted accessories, even paddles. Go to yakgadget.com and get your kayak decked out for your next trip out on the water. The 153 Bay Company, based in Troy, Ohio, make everything from plastics to custom painted hard baits. Hook them hard and hook them off. All of our baits are made to order and all of our hard baits are hand painted to order. So go to the153anglers.com to place your order today. Welcome once again, guys, to the Bass Kayak and Beers segment on the Paddle and Fin Network. As always, it's awesome to have you here on the show listening. Very happy today. I got, a, as always, a special guest, one of my favorite dudes out on the water. Great kayak angler, boat angler. You call him boat angler? Do we call you boat angler? Is that a correct term? Like, we say kayak <laughs> angler, but do we ever say boat angler? I think the proper term would be co-angler because I don't own my own boat yet, but I fish a lot okay. of boat tournaments. <laughs> oh, there you go. Kayak angler, co-angler, great podcast. You got Bailey Eichbrett from the Serious Angler Podcast. How you doing, Bailey? Doing all right, man. Uh, rushed home. I apologize. I told you I'd be ready by a certain time, and I was a little hey. late because I got too caught up in uh, staring at my screen out in the water tonight getting some practice in. Um, got a new job, so basically all my practice time is from 5 p.m. to like 
an hour after dark or whenever I'm crazy enough to stay out there and graph in the dark. So it's uh, it's gonna change the schedule a little bit, but we're uh, we're making it happen. We're I'm glad to be back on the old bass kayak and beers. Unfortunately, tonight I don't have my beer with me though. So what? I know, I know. I'm letting you down. I'm sorry. No worries, man. And never apologize for being on the water, man. That's you need to be on the water until the water. That's more important than doing the podcast. So how did it go? You're pre-fishing for a tournament? Pre-fishing for a tournament, and uh, we got Canada Lake coming up this weekend. The New York uh, Trail up here, NYKBF. Um, we got Canandaigua Lake this weekend, and uh, uh, basically we had a, a, a tournament this past weekend that kicked it off, a little charity tournament that we'll get into, I'm sure. But um, basically just went out and uh, did a little practice, graphed a while to, to try to do something I think not a lot of people are going to do. And uh, didn't have a lot of success, found some fish, but I don't think they're going to be winning fish, so I don't know how much credit I want to give to what I found. And uh, basically I have to hopefully – if I can, work-dependent, um, try to go out to uh, either tomorrow night or another night this week. Cool, man. So you got a new job. What's your new job about? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty psyched about the new gig, actually, um, because they're they're pretty supportive of the podcast deal. They're supportive of tournament fishing. They're supporting me all the way and giving me time to, you know, the bigger tournaments. They're giving me days where I can go spend time to practice and travel. And um, they're pretty behind me for that Bass uh, Kayak National Championship down in Texas. But nice. um, I'm uh, the new public relations coordinator for Gunpowder Incorporated. So they're a, a media company in the outdoor industry. Um, and basically my role is uh, predominantly the bass fishing industry. So the teams that I'm going to be working closely with on a day-to-day basis uh, is, you know, Humminbird, Minkota, Pure Fishing. So like Abu Garcia, Berkeley, and now they've acquired Plano. Um, so I'll be working close with them. And it's it's a cool gig so far. And working pretty close with the media side of things, kind of that creative uh, branding uh, for the companies that we're working with. And, you know, it was cool. Like I got to have a, a phone call with Lee Livesey today talking about how he uses Minkota Humminbird stuff to, for his win. And that's kind of the deal that we're getting into. So it was, it was it's a pretty cool gig so far, especially when I, you know, a lot of the guys that I've known from the industry already, just from the podcast and fishing, now I get to work with them on a professional level, not just, you know, chatting over social media and that's kind of like your main source of income what that's your main job right now that is my main job right now and uh, on top of it i I run a social media business where uh basically it's just me helping out a couple brands a couple buddies that uh, uh are pros and basically either one don't have the time or b are complete you know just hate social media and don't want to put any effort into it so but they know that they need it this day and age to be a professional angler because you know sponsors and all that kind of just brush you to the side if you don't have any social media. So uh, basically they, you know, helping them out and doing that. So I got a little bit of extra pocket change coming on top of that. And then uh, that's basically was that tackle was money. Yeah. That's basically what it was. It's tackle money. Um, got engaged two weeks ago. So it's some, yeah, some going to be, I appreciate it. So some of that's going to be wedding money. Uh, and um, you know, some of it was going to be entry fees, but you know, we got a, a great start this past weekend. So we got our local trail entry fees covered for the rest of the year. Yeah, so we're uh, we got we're trying to build as many revenue streams as possible is what is what the goal is here. So definitely, definitely, and it's awesome when you can combine it with your your passion, which is fishing, to also incorporate it into your main source of income in one way or the other. It's kind of like still work, but it makes it at least to me, I, I think it makes it more enjoyable. 
yeah you know, i think uh combine you know, my, both things exactly my goal was to surround my life with fishing be involved with fishing and still have the time to go out and enjoy the fun side of things not that the work side isn't fun but obviously everyone wants to be on the water everyone wants to be fishing and i've put myself in a place now where i can do that and i'm pretty happy with it and now i just need to prove that um you know i can do it and be flexible and obviously keep and retain those things um so it's pretty cool you know the gunpowder has provided me that flexibility to you know work remotely so you know whether i'm in new york here or i can go down to texas and work um it's pretty sweet and you know the support like i said they were supporting me going now to the national championship because right afterwards right after the, the day two of the kayak side i'm turning around and going right to you know, Fort Worth for the classic and I'm working the classic and I'm going to be around all those guys for that. Um, and help, you know, set up, run all the events, the activation of it. Uh, it's a pretty cool deal. Awesome. Well, if yeah. you never need a, a rep down in Fort Worth or Dallas, let me know. I gladly <laughs> trade my heard day job for this. <laughs> <laughs> so you coming for the, for the, yeah, for the, Classic on the um, kayak series size of Bassmaster Possum Kingdom. How excited about about that are you? Oh, dude, forgot my English. Um, Sorry. Oh no, you're fine, dude. <laughs> uh, I I forget my English too when I think about an event that cool. Um, I yeah, think what's really. sick about it is that's the first one of its kind. Um, well, you have to qualify, right? It's a qualify. Yeah, you have to qualify for it. Um, I won our state championship up here in New York on Oneida uh, back in September. And that's what qualified for me for that. Um, I don't. I think I'm the only New York guy that's going down there competing because I believe the rest of the guys that qualified because it was your top five what? that qualified. Wait a minute, Josh Smith didn't qualify. No, Josh. Josh was a wuss. I I, I was talking <laughs> to Josh. He didn't even fish on his home lake. He was a. Uh, I told him. I told him right up, straight up, that he should have fished it. Uh, I'm like, it's your home body of water. I don't know why you wouldn't take those odds. And uh, he could have he could have traveled with my ugly self down to Texas, and we could have fished together. But now he, he decided to to wimp out and stay at home and not fish his uh, the state championship. But it it is what it is. Now he's gonna miss out on a fun time down in uh, in Texas. But well, I um, mean, he would have had to qualify other than fish. It wasn't like he just yeah, fish and I mean, he automatically I mean, qualify. What, let's just put it this way. Though. I mean. <laughs> The top three out of all the guys are the only guys that even have a limit. And Josh, on being on his home lake, I would think that he might have a, a chance at least just getting a limit. So I'm going to talk as much smack about Josh as I can in this show just because. Oh, we batch Josh here all the time, man. We love him. That's the worst <laughs> podcast now. We, we Go love check Josh. out Josh Smith at the Dark Waters podcast, Kayak Fishing yeah. Podcast, by the way. I was, happy to, uh, I was happy to see Josh uh, Saturday. It was the first time I seen him in probably over a year honestly so it was good to catch up with him but uh, was he following you around trying to get you know was he following did you have to park at another spot to pretend you were there so josh mid would stay there and wouldn't be able to keep up with you no i think as much as he says (laughs) he might he might take jabs and say he'll follow me around but i don't think he actually would um he might try to do it just to screw with me but i don't think he'd actually seriously try to follow me around uh, but no, I didn't see Josh, dude. Otherwise, I you probably would have seen some snippets of. I posted the tournament video today on the Serious Angler uh, YouTube channel. A yeah, pretty good video. And I just watched it. I, I appreciate that. Uh, if I saw Josh, you would have seen a snippet in there of me like chirping him while around the water. You would have seen that. But unfortunately, no, I didn't run into him at all. It's funny. I watch videos of Josh fishing, especially when we're doing the Angler of the Pod. 
and the more time he spent on the water getting skunked, the lower he gets on his kayak. By the end of the tournament, you're going to see it like this. <laughs> it just keeps getting lower and lower on that seat. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to hide from everybody. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Not a great guy, Josh. We love him. Always, always, He's always welcome to come to the show. But anyway, so you were fishing at the uh, charity tournament. Uh, you won the tournament, right? How was it? It was good, dude. It was uh, NYKBF. They always kick off every year uh, with a charity tournament, and all the proceeds, entry fee-wise, go to the Tristan Foundation, which is uh, a great cause for suicide awareness. And uh, they raised over three grand this year, which is stellar. Um, absolutely awesome. And Justin, the tournament director, does a great job at marketing it, um, setting things up, giving people uh, a great time. And I know the awards, while I was only there for five minutes, which we'll get into a little bit here, um, I know he put on a great show and a lot of folks said it was a great show. Um, and he streamed it live. He gave me some crap for not being there, uh, rightfully so. Uh, but basically what happened, uh, you know, we can kind of go, if you want, just go from the start of the whole tournament recap. Yeah, go ahead, man. That's what we're um, talking about here, fishing. Okay. Um, so basically kind of the start was I went out and practiced um, four days prior to the tournament. Um, I wanted to kind of get out there, get a feel for something. Um, because I knew there was cold front coming through. So basically, I didn't spend any time shallow. Um, and basically, my game plan was to stay deep the whole day. Um, and I, I had that game plan because I know what a lot of kayak anglers like to do is they like to bounce shallow. Not not that it's a bad thing, but it's for something, you know, it's a small body of water. A lot of guys naturally like to stay shallow. They don't feel comfortable fishing deep. Because um, not I don't think a lot of guys are – spend as much time into electronics as I am because I'm addicted to electronics. Um, so I spent a lot of my time, majority of my time, that's where my comfort zone lies, is offshore. Um, so I decided to try to find an offshore bite so that I would be away from the crowds that were on the bank. Now, this lake is very small. It'd probably take you an hour at most from the north end to the south end to, to pedal, paddle, what have you. Um, so not long at all. It's a couple miles long. And so basically I knew I was going to be around people, but I thought, you know, if I'm going to be around people within the vicinity of eyesight, how can I separate myself and do something different than what everyone else is doing? And offshore was kind of that key. So I spent time during practice really spending a lot of time on the graph trying to find stuff that's offshore that might be a little sneaky. And I ended up finding seven or eight different rock piles. Um, and basically um, my deal in practice is, I fish until I get at least two to three bites because one bite is lucky. Two bites, depending mm -hmm. on the scenario, could be a fluke. But three bites is a pattern. Mm -hmm. um, and basically on each of those piles, I made three casts and got bit three times. So I left. Well, I mean, the first th two or three, I got bit two or three times. And then once I went to other ones and I got bit on that first drop, I was like, okay, I'm out. I'm just going to, I'm going to mark it. I'm going to leave it. And I, I created in my mind, I sat there and I looked at them from the, the, the mapping and I kind of just made myself a rotation on how I was going to work those and uh, figured that out. And basically what I did is I went after that. Now that I realized I had something sneaky, I started graphing more, but I started graphing toward um, that same depth, but I graphed towards these main lake, these giant main lake points that are obvious. And basically they're super obvious. And I know how a lot of people work that if they don't get a lot of practice or if they don't practice at all, they're probably going to hit. That's probably one of the first things they're going to see. And they're like, okay, maybe I'll start there. So I went there to see if I'd get bit because it's a community hole. Went there, got bit right away. Um, went 
it's basically this giant main lake point got bit on it. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll try to start here. Um, because basically my theory was if I start on the most popular stuff, I can guarantee that those rock piles I found are essentially almost guaranteed that I'll have those to myself. Um, so I ended up getting bit off of this giant main lake point, And then I moved to a secondary point right next to it and caught a four and a half pounder off of it. I'm like, okay, maybe these have more potential than what I, you know, previously kind of realized. So, uh, that was my practice day. I left and I already knew what my plan was going to be. And so I set out tournament day with the idea of, I'm going to hit those two main lake points, work those for a little while because one, they're mid lake. So not a lot of people are going to go there straight. You know, I'm going to make that two mile pedal right off the bat to that main lake stuff. And then I'll work back towards my rock piles. Um, so I went to the main lake points first, first thing in the morning and, uh, basically had probably five or six guys around me, but the, the points are so small enough, at least the hot spots where you can essentially work a specific area by yourself. Um, and they were kind of dead to be honest with you. Um, the biggest main lane point I missed one, I dropped one right at the beginning. Um, and basically I was throwing a, it was a queen tackle finesse football jig. I missed one on that. They were kind of eating it weird. So, and I was throwing a, a quarter ounce. So they, I've missed that one. I had them on for probably two, three seconds. I missed it, got bit again. And it, I felt that it, they were eating it funny because I missed another one. So I, I cut that off and I put on a three, a ounce that had a three out hook versus a two out. And I got bit on the secondary, the first, like, as soon as I moved that secondary point inside my first bite, I pinned them and every fish for the rest of the day came off of that queen tackle finesse football jig on a, it was a three, a ounce with a three yacht. I just realized that they were biting it kind of funky with that cold front that had moved through. So I bumped up the hook size and I was able to pin every single one. But that secondary point, I had three right off the bat, turned around, hit it with a jerk bait, missed one on a jerk bait. Um, realized that they were, it must've been just a, a kind of a window for that jerk bait because they were kind of swiping at it weird. Um, so I went back to the football jig and caught another one, caught another one after that, got my limit and basically hit that community stuff until I noticed more people piling in and then, okay, I'm like, all right, this is my time to leave. So around probably two hours in, I went to my rock piles and I started on my rotation and I basically stayed there for three, three and a half hours and got about, I want to say it was a 77 inch limit, I think is when I left. Um, but basically made those rotations, um, over and over, probably made the four rotations, full rotations through those rock piles. And I got bit a lot. I probably caught 30 fish. Um, and I, I had noticed, and you asked about Josh following me. It was funny because I would notice I was probably two, 250 yards offshore, uh, in about 14, anywhere from 14 to 18 to 20 foot. Uh, was where those kind of the range of where those rock piles are. And uh, I had noticed when I would catch some, and there's some guys that were on a lot of, pretty much everyone was on the bank that I saw. And what I found was there was a couple guys that would be on the bank kind of parallel to, you know, in between me and shore. And they would see me catch one in that depth and they'd work a little bit longer and they'd see me catch another one. And then they work out to that same depth line that I was at. They cast a few times, not catch and go back and it was funny because my theory is they saw me thinking it was a depth dealing at this 10 at 10 foot by 10 foot object uh when they went around and panned around they're like kind of probably got confused and realized i should stick to their game plan but it was funny to kind of see 
some guys come out there to try to see what I was doing when really it was a target deal versus a depth deal. Um, but it was cool because you know, I said you know, in the video I posted today on, the, on the, our YouTube channel, um, I said at the beginning, I said, you know, my game plan um, was to fish deep. And I think that that cold front was going to help me because I think it would push all those shallow fish back mm-hmm. deep that might have been moving up to pre to, to for pre-spawn because um the water when i had practiced was 56 degrees the water on tournament day was 50 and i could oh, wow. vividly see those schools of fish on that rock pile i would graph them before i fished them um and i could see those fish on side imaging um and it was actually kind of cool um you know on my way to on my rotation from one rock pile to another i saw some random pod of fish on my side scan Marked them really fast, spun them around with my 360 really fast, lined up my shot and fired at them, and I caught three on three casts. Uh, none of them helped me in my bag, but it was kind of cool to be like, that's yeah. just a rogue wolf pack that's swimming around. And it kind of made me think that maybe these fish are a little bit more spread out than I thought. So I took like a, I took a 110 plus two, um, got bit on that a couple times, but they're all shorts. Um, but it was kind of cool to have that rotation. Um, and basically what I did from there is it died on me. I made a full rotation without getting a bite. And I said, okay, I think at this point I have 77 inches. I think I'm just going to go look for two, one or two big fish. Um, and what I did is when on my way to leave that rotation, I looked and I saw those main lake points that were about half a mile away. Um, there's no one on them. So I went over the really fast. And I don't know if it, it want to call it luck or just making the right decisions that day. My first cast across the big point that I didn't even get bit on, um, I caught an 18 and a quarter inch smallmouth that looked unhealthy as ever. So I kind of didn't really credit that fish much, but it helped. I mean, I'll take it. It's a great kayak fish. A thing that probably wasn't even two pounds. It was so skinny. Um, put it on the board. It was like a three inch call. So that bumped me up in the low 80s. Um, and basically, they had no bites after that. So I didn't really credit that at all. So I went and I fished brand new water. Um, and what I ran into was these small little main lake points, almost like these micro main lake points. Um, but they had creek channels coming off of it. Um, it had snowed two days prior, so they had a little bit of water pumping out. Um, and f- first cast into there, I broke off on a freaking walleye, of all things. Um, and my second cast in there uh, caught a 17 three quarters, and that called me up. Uh, to about 84 inches, I think. Um, I can't remember what I actually had at that point. And I said, okay, so I think what I need to do is just keep running just new water uh, for the rest of the day, just searching for a big. Um, and what I did is I started moving along, and I realized this water, like around noons when that sun's really high up, I could tell this water was a lot clearer than I had realized, where I could see the bottom in 20 foot of water. And there's a lot of these guys that were up shallow. They would come out when they talked to me for a second. They're like, oh, man, I haven't caught anything today. I'm like, I was kind of taken aback because this lake is known to just keep catching a lot of fish. And they're like, I can't catch anything. And they've been beating the bank the whole day. And I'm like, I've kind of clicked in my head why my deep bite was so good. It's because temperature-wise, temperature drop and clear water, fish are going to move deeper because of the visibility. Deeper water, that's where they want to be when the water's that clear with those temperatures. So I pushed off into a 12 to 15 foot range and I could literally see two to three pounders swimming around. Uh, basically, I found a shell bar and saw these fish stacked on it. And uh, I realized I was going to fish that for the rest of the day when I saw four or five pounders swimming around. I'm like, I, this is what I need to do. 
So I backed off of it a hundred yards and I made, I fired some cast out with a drop shot and, uh, caught some 16s. My smallest was a 16 and a quarter, but I ended up catching a 16 and three quarters that called out a 16 flat. And, uh, that's ended up, that, that was how I got my bag, but it was a kind of cool, uh, a cool deal just to see my adjustments for the day, just realizing how, um, I had my game plan. I stuck to my game plan and it worked. You know, I made the right decisions there, but the crucial decisions were what happens when your game plan runs out. And I was able to kind of fish on, you know, on the fly and also just basically fish the conditions. And it was kind of cool for me to see things kind of transpire and have things just click. And it kind of, you know, once you put two and two together, you make that equation and it works out. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a reassurance for confidence and it kind of feels good going into to Saturday. Uh, it would just be nice to find better fish for this Saturday. So it hasn't clicked just yet, but uh, it was a, it was a good way to start the, the tournament season. Uh, nice little payday and uh, obviously for a really good cause. So I was happy to donate to that. Uh, but what's funny was I had to go to, I mentioned I got engaged two weeks ago. I had to go to a family party in Buffalo. It was an hour and a half away. And I obviously didn't bank on winning this thing because in no. history, in history, this lake hates me. Uh, so I realized I had a good shot at winning, but I showed up to awards and I, cause I wanted to say hello. Cause I was, I was on my route back and I had a couple minutes to spare. So I wanted to stop by and say hello to everybody. So shook some hands and everything said hello. And I was like, sorry, but I got to run. Like I have to be at a family party an hour and a half. And, just got engaged. I don't want to start it with missing it for fishing. Yeah. Um, if I want to, if I want to be able to fish for a while, you know, uh, yeah. I might have, I, I got to be good with attendance or family stuff. And uh, so left there and I was probably an hour into my drive uh, when the second place guy, Paul um, called me or not called me. He texted me and said, Hey man, congrats. You beat me out by a quarter of an inch. And I was like, Oh man, like, that's sick. Like I didn't realize you got second. Um, I totally forgot he was fishing there. Um, it's kind of a cool thing with Paul that I'll get to in a second. But uh, something I realized later that day, I was going through my photos because I was going to make a post for, you know, winning and all that jazz. And I realized, dude, I had uh, I had called up a fish with that sight fishing. I caught another like 16 and a half that uh, I didn't even submit. I forgot that I even caught it and I didn't <laughs> even submit it. So, like, I could have lost and, like, didn't have a half-inch call that I could have made. So I was like kind of kicking myself. Like it's a good thing you won that thing because you'd be probably beating yeah, yourself. Yeah, that would have been kicking yourself. It's a thousand yeah. dollar mistake. But what's cool is uh, the guy that got second, Paul, is uh, an, an older gentleman, and I had met him out on one of our local lakes last year. Um, and I had like twenty five pounds at that point. I had a great day, and I was kind of on my way out, and uh, ran into him, and he's like, "Man, I've been all out here all day. I haven't caught a dang fish yet." And I could see he was kind of relatively new to the sport. And I was like, man, I got an hour to spare. I'm like, you know what, dude? I got a little community hole over here. Let's go fish. We'll get you on some fish. I can guarantee it. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Uh, and I asked him on the, we're on the way to that spot where we're paddling with each other. And uh, I was like, you ever thrown a rattle trap before? Um, it was actually cool. He was another, he's a Hobie guy too. So we're both rocking Hobies. And I was like, you know how to throw a rattle trap? And he goes, I've never thrown one before. 
I was like, okay. So I dug through my box, gave him a red eye shed. And I was like, it's super simple. Bomb it out, let it fall to the bottom and just slow reel it back. Cause that's all they wanted. They didn't want it burned. They didn't want a yo-yo. They just want it slow reeled. And his first cast was like his PB, like a four and a half pounder. And <laughs> Look at that. we basically started smashing them for like a half hour. And I was like, dude, I got to run, but you're more than welcome to fish this stuff. And now every now and then when I go back to that lake this spring, Paul's there and he's smashing them, beating their face. And I think he's leading the month long for NYKBF. Just got second place um, at Honey Oil this past weekend. He attributes it to beginner's luck. And while he might be you know, relatively getting to the sport, I think he needs to give himself a little bit more credit that he knows what's going on. But uh, it's cool to see kind of like that uh, that transition of you know the learning curve, right? I mean, yeah, it kind of accredits to just one simple conversation can can help somebody learn. Not that I'm like an, an expert, but it attributes to just helping somebody out. You know, pays off, and it's kind of cool to see. It's cool to see him do no, that. It, well, and I mean, you you downplay yourself when you say you're not an expert. Let's be real; you did qualify for the kayak series the classic at possum kingdom not everybody does that it's not like last year we just buy an entry fee and anybody could get in as long as you know you bought it on time so you qualify for this so and one of the things that i love talking to you about fishing it's just that thing that you break down everything like right now i love having you on my podcast because i really don't have to ask any questions other than hey tell me what happened and you'll break down it in such an awesome way that you're like, you know, step one through from A to Z, complete breakdown of what worked, what didn't, and how it turned around. And that's that's a valuable, just valuable information that I think the people are listening uh, can uh, take something with them, not just about what types of baits and what worked or not because that's going to be different in any lake but just your total mindset on how you approach fishing and how you break it down your gameplay you know going into i'm going to start at this spot and then i'm going to move to this spot and then i notice this and i transition to this i think that's the most important thing a lot of times when we're trying to learn and i'm relatively new to this point and i'm definitely still learning but from experience one of the things we get caught up is like, well, what bait was he using or what hmm. really doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, but it's, you know, the person that you're, you know, when you look at or watch videos like Fluke Master, um, uh, your serious angler podcast um, and, and the videos that you used to do on bike, um, Ike Bread Outdoors, um, Wire to Cast, uh, Tactical Bass in, uh, Bass Resources. You know, there, there's great information out there, but a lot of times it's, it may not work on your lake. You may be doing it great. You may be doing it exactly how you're supposed to do it at the exact place. I mean, at the exact time of the year, you sh should be doing it, but that doesn't mean that's going to work on your lake. And a lot of times I think we have to focus when we're learning is on what's the mindset, because that's more than anything. You know, when to switch a bait, not just how to use a chatterbait, when to use a chatterbait, when not to use a chatterbait, when um, put the chatterbait away and change to what now? Am I changing to a weightless Senko? Am I changing, am I changing to uh, a jig? Am I changing to this and that? That I think is what, as I've gotten better and grown as an angler, and again, I'm not nowhere near your level or 
you know, any of those PKAs out there. But that's the beauty of it, just putting the puzzle together and knowing not, not ex- necessarily what, how do you work a bait, but when to use it and when not to use it. And that's, I think that's great information. That's something that I encourage anybody that's learning. It's just like, don't focus on how to use a jackhammer. Focus on when and when not to. That's a good yeah. point. There's there's so much different information out there that I feel bad yeah. for a lot of people getting into the sport right now because there's yeah so much content out there where people say you have to do this. And they use the word have to. You know, they make it sound like it's a textbook thing. And I know people use textbook as this term of reference and i've i've done it too where i've used it as a term of reference and i've tried i've been starting to get away from that because once you start looking at fishing as a and especially you look at these um these kind of clues that you learn if you start looking at them as recommendations versus rules you can yeah. kind of start picking things apart because you know when anybody tells you you know you'll see uh and, and and first things first and foremost if you see something on youtube you learn stuff on youtube that's great I think you need to look at the information that you learn, whether it's in articles or YouTube videos, what have you, podcasts for that matter too. Uh, keep them as thoughts, keep them as remembrances, but don't r- make things a rule for you or a a way of you f- of how you fish until you actually see how it works when it's on the water. You know, keep these things, keep these theories in your mind. But like when someone says, "No, you have to use a, a red." chatterbait in this watercolor this condition or whatever keep it in your mind as a suggestion but go out and actually do it and see what works for you versus just what some guy says on youtube um but like in a great way to 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 go off of that is like people say when you know when it's windy you gotta throw moving baits right when it's windy you gotta throw moving baits uh which yes you can get bit on moving baits but i'll tell you what uh for me when i was offshore wind was blowing uh, and it was probably blowing 10 miles an hour in my face, which is, I, I like that because not a lot of kayak guys like wind. I love wind. Um, and basically I threw every moving bait in the books, uh, in practice when the wind picked up my football jig bite got better. And I, it, it goes mm-hmm. to show that just because, you know, there's a certain condition doesn't mean you have to do something else when you're out fun fishing purposely go against the grain. Like when, when people say you shouldn't do this. Go and do it when it doesn't make sense, and you'll start dialing these different things that will start kind of helping you. And worst case scenario, you find a deal that no one else is doing. That's what's pretty mm. cool about it. Um, you know, get get weird with the baits. Get weird with your presentation. Get get weird with how you work a bait. You know, there's people that take a small kitek on a ball head and they say you got to slow roll it. And I'm a proponent of that too. But there was a time, dude, I could not get bit slow rolling that thing across the rocks. I would have to feel the rock. I would, drop, I would cast, feel that swim bait go on the rock. I lift up a little bit so it was off of it. And I was twitching constantly with that swim bait. And that was the only way I could get bit. And they would throttle it, but they would not touch it if I if I just crept it. It's these small little nuances you won't learn until yep. you just start experimenting, getting weird with stuff. Um, instead of, you know, it's there's a lot of great references out there for information. Mm-hmm. But when you really start getting good with things is when you start just kind of making your own theories, doing your own things, finding your own path. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's a whole rabbit hole that I'm sure we could go down and it's, you know, you oh, mentioned yeah. that I talk through things and it's, it's probably an advantage that you get another podcast host on here because obviously I love to talk as I'm sure the yeah. listeners and viewers are have noticed if they haven't already is I won't shut up. 
but that's like, dude, that's something <laughs> that I could talk about for so long. There's so many different things. Uh, it gets me excited just talking about it because it's so cool to talk about these unique, different things that you can find when you start experimenting with weird stuff. Like I, I love taking fun fishing days where I'm not practicing and going through some, something stupid, like really dumb. And one real quick story. One of my favorite times of doing that, I went out and I bought a, a that freaking, it was like a tequila sunrise colored spro rat. And my buddies, it was like a purple rat with a chartreuse tail. And it was during the smallmouth spawn. I'm like, I bet you I, they'll smash this thing. And my buddies are like, you're an idiot, dude. And I was like, well, you got to remember, smallmouth are stupid in the spawn. They're the dumbest animal on the planet, especially during the spawn. And dude, I had like 24 pounds of freaking smallmouth on a purple spro rat. And my buddies are catching my net rigs. And I'm like, I'm having more fun than you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's just stuff like that it's just having fun with it. it just just have fun with it and loosen up and like you can i don't know i'm kind of going off on a complete tangent at this point <laughs> no but it's it's true it's true and i and uh to your point i i my favorite uh bite is chatterbait bite um mm -hmm. i love it i love throwing chatterbaits it's just it's great it's super effective so mm -hmm. i when i started getting good at chatterbaits um, then I decided, you know what, I'm going to up my game by watching videos and I watched the videos and I'm not crapping on him because I have the utmost respect. And I always say, and I tag him when I say that, uh, on my face, on my Instagram post that, um, fluke master made an honest angler out of me. Um, and I love him. It's, it's my favorite YouTube content creator as far as learning bass fishing. But one thing that, that happened to me is like, I got good. I got I, once I got the chatterbait confidence bait, I wasn't because I was watching videos. I just liked it. I started throwing it and immediately started working for me. And immediately I was like, oh, great. So then I decided I'm going to up my game. And I started watching videos. And I remember the video on, uh, wasn't that long ago that uh, Fluke Master put on how do you throw a chatterbait. And I abandoned what was working for me because his thought process was different. And one of the things was the retrieval. His retrieval is completely different from yeah, he's a yo -yo I was guy, throwing. Yeah, yo-yo guy, and, and just kind of like work at kind of like a jig, but faster. I've tried that; doesn't work for me. Like, like I was like, this is a this is a classic uh, problem that a lot of new anglers have. It's like there's such thing as too much information just because it works for one of the best kayak or fishing anglers out there like Fluke Master Gene Jensen doesn't mean it's going to work in your body of water or it's going to work for you. I I stopped using that paddle tail on my chatterbait because I heard, oh, paddle tails doesn't work. So obviously it got on my head that, oh, yeah, paddle tail doesn't work. Well, before that, before I watched the video, I would throw a paddle tail on my jackhammer and I would catch fish all the time, all mm -hmm. the time. And it was like it's one of those things where you're like, Use it as a guide, but don't use it like a law of the universe that revolves around, you know, like the sun is going to come out exactly this time. It's going to set at this time because it's not. It's what works for them. It's, mm -hmm. it's how they perfect it. It's their confidence. But to me, it's completely different. Everything since I started doing that, I completely lost my chatterbait bite. I had to like completely abandon and kind of like restart from new. And it's one of those things where I recommend anybody out there, use it as a guide. Use it as to get you ideas on how to use things, but don't put it as a, 
like a law that it has to be that way. Otherwise, you're not going to get a bite. Yeah. Like you said, get creative with things. Oh, yeah. It's a recommendation. It ain't a rule. Yeah. They're fish. They live by their own code. And their code is, I want to eat. I want to have babies. And I'm going to do that cycle all over again. And that's yeah. all it is. That's all they want to do. Um, every fish is different, too, dude. Like it's There's no, like, it's not. It's not a specific math equation. Like you have to, mm -hmm. it can be flexible. I mean, a fish wants certain things, certain ways. You can kind of get unique with how you do it. But yeah, you know, dude, talking about the chatterbait, and I'm speaking regionally here, but the ch it's crazy how the chatterbait hype in the past, what, four or five years has made everyone completely forget about a spinnerbait. And I know I'm speaking, yeah. re I'm speaking <laughs> really? regionally here. It's called uh, the old man's bait now. Yeah, and that's fine, dude. Uh, but at least from a northern standpoint, I love throwing a chatterbait. Don't get me wrong, but dude, I have more confidence with a spinnerbait in in this time of year that pre-spawn moving up to spawn than I do a chatterbait. Uh, I had more days where I had bigger bags of fish. Uh, I, oh, jeez, good grief! I gotta tell people not to text me right now. Knock my phone over. Um, I've had more bags consistently on a spinnerbait than I have a chatterbait. Um, you know, I've gone down certain banks and I see everybody's always throwing a chatterbait. And I specifically made it a point where I went to a community hole and I, there was three boats there. Um, and they were all throwing chatterbaits. One boat was flipping a jig. I specifically went behind all of them with a spinnerbait, dude. And I kid you not, down that stretch, I had 24 pounds behind those guys and they might have caught two, three fish. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. So like, it's one of those things where it's, and what's actually kind of gets on an interesting tangent here, is there's all these old baits that guys, people talk about, and they're like, oh man, that's old stuff. Like there's all this new and there's these hype baits that are coming out and everyone's all over this. Well, here's the thing. Fish can only live for so long. There's a certain point when fish die out and they stop seeing a bait because they're, they're brand new fish. They've never seen mm -hmm. a bait. So people stop throwing a bait because like, oh, they've seen that bait before. Well, 10 years later, it's a brand new fish there. They've never yeah. seen that bait before. So it, it's important to remember too is like don't completely forget about what you've done. Don't completely forget about a certain style of fishing, a certain bait, what you've done because – you know, in a few years, it's completely different fish that might be there. Like the fish, you catch a five pounder, you know, on one spot and they get kind of accustomed to a certain bait, you know, a couple of years later, you know, there's going to be new four or five pounders up in there. Yeah. That one fish is going to mature. It's going to get a different style of behavior. It's, I mean, this tangent's dangerous for me because we'll just go down for hours. No, but, but it's true, man. It's very true. I love Derek Brundle talks about chatterbaits all the time and he wanted to see one of his i got a bone um, to pick with derek brundle <laughs> well tell me about it in a minute but that dude he always says uh, like jackhammer is the problem with the jackhammer is everybody throws it so if everybody's throwing a jackhammer throw a regular chatterbait and see how the bite is and he was telling about that on the, i think he was on the national championship where he says i didn't i threw a chat uh, uh he was throwing chatterbaits a lot but he says he threw a jackhammer. It wasn't if I remember the story correctly, it wasn't working. So he switched to the regular chatterbait, and it's, the bite picked up for him because it's a different vibration, it's a different noise. It's just 
it's kind of like a different look on it. Sometimes so it's fish want something new. Yeah, sometimes fish just just get used to. You know, if if a fish, I don't care how dumb or hard smart, smart bass fishing are. To me, if a bass is constantly being falling for the same bait, I'm assuming there's gonna be a point where it's like, you know what? It's not a, it's not good. That's how. That's how kind of like nature evolves. You know, that's where you what's and I'm going on a tangent here, but that's why you notice there's like venomous skin, um, snakes tend to be brighter because it's a pattern that shows predators like, okay, I can't go for that one because those colors are telling me that's venomous. And that it's funny, but it's that I think and I can't I'm not a biologist, but I think at the end of the day, that applies to bass as well where if they see the same bait same action same noise and it keeps getting in trouble there's a point where you're like bass are gonna say you know what i'm gonna stop eating that because it's not working for me <laughs> so mm-hmm. let's find something else to eat I that's, think that, that's my opinion but i'm not a biologist but i think they said like a bass's memory is like 48 hours or something like that something really? weird but like i think a great point too is like i know it's not kayak fishing related but uh, Bassmaster Elite Series on Lake Fork down by you, Lee Livesey had 42 pounds. Uh, I was on the phone with him today, and he literally mentioned how he would pull up to a spot, wouldn't even put the trolling motor down. Uh, he'd get you know a decent ways away as long as he can make it with the cast. He put his raptors down, and what he would do is he knew that these fish were smart, especially the mature fish are really smart. They're old, and they're accustomed to boat noise, so he literally would just sit down and wait for three four minutes to watch those fish start getting active again up by the surface because they're chasing, he was chasing gizzard shad. Um, and that's what those bigger fish are honing in on. He'd wait a couple minutes, start hearing a little bit of activity, come back up again. Then he'd slowly get up, pick up his top water, fire a long freaking cast. And then he caught 42 pounds. Third best, biggest bag of all time in Bassmaster. Because he realized, and he did this on Chickamauga when he won last, last year too, is he'd pull up to a spot and he'd give it five minutes to let everything settle so the fish to, for the fish to forget that he was even there. So it's kind of one of those things too, where it's like you might get on a bite, you know, and you're smashing them on say a black and blue chatterbait. You're smashing them, bite dies. It's probably because they got accustomed to that chatterbait. If you switch mm-hmm. up, maybe throw an orange or a white, you might get a couple more bites and it might die off again. Then you pick up a spinnerbait or a square bill or a jerk bait. And you kind of keep cycling through. My uh, my co-host and I, Andrew Folk, we were out one day, and we started smashing on them, just crushing them on football jigs. Bite completely died. We were going, we were doubling up almost every cast, and all of a sudden dead. It took us 10 minutes to realize, let's try something, throwing something else. We threw a rattle trap in there, started crushing them again for 10 minutes, died. And then Andrew picked up a square bell, started crushing them. I picked up a jerk bait, started crushing them. It was just one of those things where sometimes fish get accustomed pretty quick. Yeah. Um, especially now that there's more fishing pressure, they see more baits. So you kind of, kind of switch things up and you got to kind of take that notice is don't be afraid to pick up a new bait for a couple more minutes just to kind of test that theory. And if it is, mm-hmm. it can completely change your day. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But, uh, going back, I uh, do have a bone to pick with Mr. Derek. <laughs> with Derek are you going to crap on Derek? Blundell? I don't want to get in trouble with Derek Blundell. Oh no, 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 no. I can never, <laughs> I can never crap on, on Derek. Derek's a good dude. Uh, where I have a bone to pick with Derek is he caught a freaking giant that he posted on his Instagram that's at least a seven pounder. 
And the dude, I commented on how much did it weigh. And he goes, I don't bring a scale with me when I fish. And I literally, I had fumes coming out of my ears, man. He's like length only. And I'm like, but, but I'm such a pounds guy. It's so bad. Uh, it's like, I was just like, I want to know how much it weighs. Like, I'm just going I don't, I don't bring a weight scale with me either. I don't like it. Oh, man. What, are you doing? Just... what if you catch a 10 pounder? It's like the epitome of bass fishing. The guy wants to catch a 10 pounder. If. I've probably been close. I caught a hybrid that I'm pretty sure it, it was a 10 pounder, but like a large mouth, to me, small mouth hybrid? No, uh, no, hybrid like, well, in Texas, we call it hybrids. It's a sand bass. Oh, and, oh uh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were talking so, about like, the hybrids there. Wiper. I think they call them wiper up in New York, right? Is that what they call them up in New York? Wiper? Yeah, we call them wipers. Yeah, so a wiper. So, because here's my thing, and I mentioned this um, on. Monday's podcast with the noob. My biggest fish when I started fishing, I didn't have. I had a weight scale, but I didn't have. I didn't have a kayak yet, so it didn't dawn on me to measure it. So I was like everybody else. Oh, the weight scale. Yes, let's do the weight scale. So I caught this. It was in Lake Grapevine. I caught this post spawn female bass that was absolutely humongous. I couldn't. I just. I look at the pictures now. I couldn't get her in the frame anywhere. I could. There was no way to get her in the frame. Um, I have pictures on Instagram, and I wish I had on my computer because I would uh, screen um, share it here. But it was just a humongous bass. I'm thinking, and I've asked people around, says, what do you think? I think it's like 24 inches. They're like, yeah, it got to be 24 inches or more. My personal best measured was 22 and a quarter. That one was bigger than that. But I had the weight scale because it was a female post spawn. She had not eating. She was not. I I thought I was snagged because she didn't put up a fight at all. She just barely, just by the skin. I wish, I wish I had that picture on my computer because it was just barely, barely under like the skin that I hooked it. If she would have put any type of fight, she would have broken off. But she didn't. I just thought I was snagged. Like, Hold the rod to uh, to you know to unsnag it, um, and lo and behold, biggest bass I've ever caught unofficially. So when I put it on the weight scale, three pounds, and it was skinny as like this has to be the bass last year. I mean that thing was just like she put up no fight. She had to be was up shallow. She had to be like up in the creek, so she had to be like just postponed like she was like done she was like i haven't eaten i'm done that and so I, was I was dead. disappointed three pounds yeah it was 22 inches good god no nah, it was i was like this is not even four pounds like what the heck is this it that was skinny as i i know so i got disappointed with it then i got into kayak fishing and i started you know with the bump boards uh and the catch boards and that was like yeah this is this to me is more interesting because Weight can be relatively right. You can cut you can cut a, a, a an eighteen inch bass that weighs five pounds because you caught her spawning. If you caught her a week before that or a week after that, you would have caught a two three pounder at best. But it's still an eighteen inch bass, and that's why I love the kayak fishing more in that aspect. The part of the tournament because catching. A, bit, a large fish, you know, a long fish is harder than catching 
I think like a five, 10 or five pound. I'm not going to say 10 pound because that's, that's really hard to catch, but it's just that, you know, it could be, you could have caught her just, you know, gorging on shad and guess what? Now it's going to weigh like maybe a pound more, you know, but if you would have caught a little, you know, it's just a bit, a lot, a 22 inch fish is going to be a 22 inch fish, a 24 inch fish going to be a 24 inch so i like to look at it that way i like to say i caught a 24 inch fish be like oh that's awesome if i tell you i caught a three pounder you'd be like so <laughs> that's why <laughs> to me yeah. i just i don't even weigh them anymore yeah i go i love both personally but for me i sway more to the weight side just because i don't know it's like a number i could be like size it's the biggest fish like i don't know i guess for me my brain more works on the five best you know weight limit than anything else um it's just kind of how i i guess because i got into that more before i did the whole kayak thing um that's probably why i'm ingrained that way but um i don't know man just for me i'm always and it hurts me that way too it really does because sometimes like you know in a kayak tournament where post-spawners could win you know where i might go after Mm. pre-spawners because they're bigger and that's just how my mind's ingrained and they're heavier Mm. but the post spawners are going to be a little bit easier to catch. You might have some more, more post spawn yeah. some, the bigger fish that are put, I don't know. We're going down a whole different rabbit hole here, but <laughs> yeah, it's no, like, definitely. it's, it, it hurts me sometimes, dude. We're, I've got on this thing where I can catch giant bat. Like I shouldn't say I can catch giant bags. I can catch big bags of fish, but they hurt me because they're really fat but they're not that long. Like, like you said, like I literally caught a five and a quarter pounder. That was 18 inches. Thing was a bowling ball. Like it just, uh, it made small mouth, small and large mouth. Dude. I caught a couple this year that were below 19 inches and they were all over five. And the That's dimensions crazy. on that are insane. Like the small mouth dude was 17 and three quarter inches and 17 and a half inches around. That is a qualified swimming bowling ball. That's not a football. That is a bowling <laughs> ball. That is a bowling ball with a tail. So switching up subjects, tell me a little bit how that PA 360 is working for you. You got the 12, right? PA 12 360? Yeah. How do you yeah, like it? Huge sh- I love it, dude. Huge shout out to uh, Ryan Kennedy over at Morgan Marine up here in New York, uh, located over on uh, Cuca Lake. So if any of the homies over in the Northeast region or New York are listening to this. Uh, if you guys have not been to Morgan Marine, highly check it out. Selfless plugs. Um, but uh, dude, the, uh, the PA has been sick uh, for me just in terms of maneuverability with that 360 yeah. drive. Uh, me being such a offshore fisherman, and it's kind of how my mind's ingrained. Um, not that I hate fishing shallow, uh, but for me with that 360, um, obviously I don't, I'll be completely blunt with it. The best, way to fish offshore kayak wise is to have a motor that has uh like the xi3 on all treks that has that yeah I, I can't remember motor guides one um i think it's just gps is what they call it i'm trying to remember what it's called um but yeah like spot lock has uh with the all track spot lock that is the best way to stay on a spot offshore don't get me wrong um but if you want to take it in terms of say like the hobie trail the hobie 360 is the best yeah. way to fish offshore because I can make minor adjustments, uh, minor adjustments with my 360 drive. Yeah. So I can, if I'm pinpointing one specific rock pile, I have to make a specific cast. That's going to be a pain in the butt. Say if I had my old wieldy, 
where I have to like, if I'm getting blown a little bit, I can't make those minor adjustments on a, such a sharp angle. Whereas at 360, you know, I can yep. point it directly to the right. If I'm getting blown a little bit left, I can make a little bit of a slight adjustment. So that way I'm back making that specific cast and I can slightly flutter it. So I'm staying in that angle with a constant wind. It, it, it's really easy for that thing to pedal it. I've, I put out on our YouTube channel, how I set it up. I put a whole video on that. And I that put was a, video a good video. On performance review. Yeah, I did the performance review as well. And like, dude, I was easily going three and a half to four miles an hour oh, when I was just pedaling along. And that I got it, the the 14th and I was amazed. And somebody had told me, it makes no sense to me that the 14 is faster than the 12 because it treads water better. To me, it's like the bigger the boat, the slower it's going to be. But what do I know? I'm not. Yeah, uh, honestly, honestly, that's what I probably would have thought too. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. But I've heard people. I said that no, it's going to be more because it's going to displace water, whatever it is. Um, so I, I've gone like full pedal to the metal on my PA14, and that thing just flies, man. <laughs> do, you, do you know what you've gotten it up to? I haven't, but it has to be. It has to be at least four miles per hour because I've. Nice. I have. I don't have the measuring thing. And I've been, it could, I could be one of those fishermen. Oh, I caught an eight pounder. It was more three pounder. <laughs> like, yeah. So I, but it, it, I'm completely amazed on how fast that thing goes. I was like, yeah. that was I like, I've the, had the uh, Outback and it's not even close as fast as that PA 14. Dude, that, that 12 I've actually touched. The best I've gotten is 5.2. And it's, I remember that because today earlier, my buddy, Josh Bertrand over in Arizona, mm-hmm. he's on, he's on major league fishing. And I messaged him because he put on a story that his Garmin Force can go up to 4.4 miles an hour. And I was like, my, my Hobie can go 5.2. Let's have a race. And I was just kind of like messing with him because he, he takes some fun jabs at me for, for being kayak, a kayaking. But I have a bunch of buddies that do. And, uh, but you get guys get it that get into it and they realize they love it. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting to see. And I, I know this is not probably the tangent you wanted to go into, but it was like funny. I'm going any tangent, man. It's it's funny to watch guys that like will knock a kayak but have no reason to, and then they either get outfished. Or Who would just, knock a kayak? That's what I want to know. Guys, guys in boats, which is fine. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages. Things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. It's all right. I don't knock anybody on boats. If you have a glitter boat, good for you. People have told me, it's like, oh, if you can afford it. No, I can't afford a glitter boat. I'm not, you know, trying to... Um, Lord know how much money I have. That's that's not what I'm trying to go at. I my I have a kayak and not a boat because I rather have a kayak. Mm-hmm. I much rather have a kayak. The places you can go with a kayak, no boat can go can make it. Just last week I went to Grapevine. I went there's an RV park where, um, and there's a I found a little and I posted the video. I found a little tunnel that I was skipping, um on that tunnel and i caught a sand bass so i decided you know what that's that's not that low so i went and i got into a little creek that was literally one and a half feet deep mm-hmm. and i've i didn't catch a big one i saw a huge spotted bass but i just couldn't get him to bite and i'm on a creek 
that is literally like as wide as my kayak. And I have the 14 foot. So I'm like, even like, even there were parts of that creek where it was like, I can almost touch the east side of the bank with my hand. And just to be able to get through that pedaling and cast. And I did end up catching something. It's like, I, no boat can even come close to here. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me, I, it's like, I, I don't, I mean, I could afford, but I don't want to. Like, why would I spend that money to limit where I can go as far as fishing? Yeah. You know, I mean, I see that, both sides. Yeah. I love both sides of it. Um, if I could, I would have a boat. Um, but I obviously would, if I ever got a boat, I would obviously keep the kayak because I love both um, for, yeah. for different reasons. The boat, I love fishing big water. You know that about me. I'm a big water uh, yep. fanatic. Um, while I, fishing small stuff is fun, I love going out on Lake Erie on my kayak and going after big smallies. Um, the boat is something for me where it's like there's so much weight on your shoulders in terms of – I shouldn't say weight on your shoulders. Weight on your decisions that you make in a kayak because uh, obviously man- your maneuverability isn't as – much of a factor is when you have a 250 Yamaha on the back and you can yeah. go wherever the hell you want. Um, so it's like you have a, a, it's so much more critical the decisions you make in a kayak because you can't just pick up and go four miles. Yeah. For four it makes you a better angler, boat, in my opinion. Yeah. It, it, it does. Um, but I also think, you know, there have been times where I've been sitting there and I made the wrong decision and I'm like, dang, I know this sucks, but because I know this sucks, I know that's good but that's five miles away and I'm going to get there in over an hour where if I had a boat, I'd be there in less than 10 minutes. So that's stuff like that, that kind of outweighs it. But like in the same, same point in time, you know, tournament morning or not certainly tournament morning, but like t- take a, a random Saturday morning driving to the lake. I'm waving at all the guys filling up their boat at the gas station with my kayak. Cause I don't have to fill up for gas. Uh, it's stuff like that. And like, you know what? Your boat breaks down. You're far away. Well, that sucks. I don't have to worry about that because I don't have a motor to worry about. You know, it's it's ex- from an expense standpoint, like kayak's the way to go right now, especially with these yep. gas prices rising, dude. I mean, I don't want to be. I mean, granted, I'm a kid out of college, so expenses aren't really a great thing for me, anyways. But like, kayak is is the way to go when with with uh, you know with the whole gas deal right now. It's and but plus, I have something other than the kayak. I have something better than a boat, other than the kayak. I'm not talking about the kayak. My best friend has a boat. That's even better. See, and now you're talking. Now you're talking. <laughs> My best friend has a boat. Shout out to Arnie, by the way. He has a boat. So. Yeah. I don't have to See, worry yeah, about I, gas. I don't have to wear nothing boats. trailing. No, that's it. Exactly. That's even better. Any boat owner will tell you that's better than having a boat. Oh, yeah. And no guy with a boat is going to say no to you going and backing him down so he doesn't have to do any of the work oh he so, doesn't let me back that i told him like oh, yeah. i'd rather i i told him i i used to have a jet ski and a trailer so I said, i'm used to having a trailer so i'll back up the truck with the trailer he rather i you know pulled up the boat to the trailer i'm like dude that's even more dangerous <laughs> because not only can i break your boat i can break your truck if i ram it in the back of your truck so yeah, i rather but okay. he's like no 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 i'll get the truck you you load the boat. I'm like, yeah, it's probably probably better the other way, but whatever. I'm just happy to be there. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, though. But yeah, no knock on boats and glitter boats. They're fine. I just don't I like it when, 
I don't like it when they're kind of like crap. Oh, you have a kayak, dude. I have a kayak because I want a kayak. I could afford a boat if I wanted to. I just don't want to limit where I want to go. Plus, to me, it's all about relaxing. Like, if I like power sports, like I used to have a sea do. Yeah, I loved it, but that I didn't go fishing on it. I was just joyriding on it. So if I have a boat like that, like I'm not gonna be fishing. I'm be joyriding on it. <laughs> I want to yeah. go fishing. I want to be relaxed. Sounds of nature and uh, get to where nobody else can get and find those. That's where you find the juice. That's where you find the good bass, in my opinion. Yeah, it's both have their advantages. And yeah, of course. Disadvantages, that's for sure. But I Definitely. will say, these new aluminum, this aluminum boat trend is making some waves. With that's why my buddy has thing. aluminum boat. Yeah. yeah, that's making some waves, man. I've seen John Cox get in inches of water. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things, but like, but either way, I'm not knock neither of them. Never will knock either of them. Both have their advantages. Uh, obviously, not a lot of people can afford an eighty thousand dollar boat, so I don't think it's fair yep. to knock anyone that's in a kayak. But uh, it's both have their place, and I think, I think if, if anything, and people might get mad at me for saying it, is I think the guys that hate on kayaks are threatened by kayak anglers. Uh, I think they're threatened by that industry. Um, I think there's not a lot of people that see the opportunity that's there. There's so many guys that are, you know, joining these 250 boat tournaments when there's, you know, these small club trails on the same lake for kayaks that they could be doing and doing well in, but they're not taking yeah. advantage of that opportunity. Um, but I, I don't know. Like I said, there's there's advantages and disadvantages to both sides of them. Um, and Drew Gregory, I need to shout him out because he's been doing a really good job of making it a point to try to combine both the worlds. He made a really good article in Bassmaster of how kayak anglers and boats can share the water. Um, and, and he mentioned, you know, in that article a lot about, like you said, getting in these backwaters. Um, and it's something for me, which is kind of weird because for me in a kayak being an offshore guy, um, I do get guys, I have gotten comments where it's like, you know, dude, just get a boat, you know, whatever that sort of thing. But it's like, I don't know, there's something yeah. kind of satisfying about putting in the work and dealing with those bigger waves, that wind when you're offshore, battling it, and you do put together a good bag. Something about that just kind of feels pretty good, but um, I don't Anything know. Anything catching I, a fish, it feels pretty good. Yeah. By the way, Drew Gregory, isn't he, to me, he's the most underrated angler out there. Like, if people say Russ Snyder, Jody Queen, well-deserved. Joe Swider, I mean, Russ Snyder, Jody Queen, Christine Fisher, they serve all the, you know, all the accolades they get. Drew Gregory is a beast. <laughs> he's a guy, he's knowledgeable, he's always up there. It's just kind of like, I don't know why I feel like he falls under the radar, like he's underrated, but that guy can, I mean, can fish with anybody out there, man. That guy is awesome. Yeah, he's, he is your shallow water guy. Um, I Nothing like wrong with lot. that. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Good God, no. Uh, I like Drew a lot. Drew and I have shared some some good conversations over the phone, um, and I'm excited to see Drew down in Texas. Um, but what I'm interested to see, and I kind of hope Drew listens to this. If not, I might actually make sure he. Drew doesn't to listen this. to this. He has his own thing, man. He don't, he's going to be like who? Bass guy? Nah. Goes, what? <laughs> I'll send I'll send him the link because I want to challenge him here because I'm very interested to see how he's going to do because uh, he's coming up to Champlain. And I know I was talking to him a little bit. I told him kind of what goes on on Champlain that time of year. And he's mentioned how he wants to try some of these backwaters. 
And the first thing that comes to mind is like, I have never had, you know, found good winning fish on backwaters that time of year on that big of water. So I'm very intrigued to see how he does and how that plan for him transpires because that big of water, uh, I'm going to say your 99% of your winning fish are not going to be in those backwaters. But knowing Drew and the horseshoe he's got, he'll, find, butt, it. he'll find that 1% that's in that backwater. Um, but it'll be ins- it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm really excited to watch that that Champlain event. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to be there. Um, but that's going to be fun to see what guys do, uh, just being closer to home. And it's cool to see Hobie go up there. Um, I hope they get a, a tournament on Cayuga because that'll be – I will be in that regardless of what's going on. Um, but it's a – I don't know. It's kind of cool. Drew does a lot of good. I think there's a lot of guys that um, that fish those trails that not many people know about that I think if they had, you know, whether it be work schedules, whether it be financials, whether it just be even willingness, if all worked out, there would be a lot of different names you would hear on those trails um, that you don't hear about a lot right now, just because kayak fishing is blue collar and yep. blue collar means guys have nine to fives and they can't take the time to go travel around and do that stuff. But I think um, if they had that flexibility there, I mean, that, that could be said on the boater side too. Um, that there's a lot of names out there that are straight hammers that could replace the big names right now. Yep. So it's just one of those deals. But I think Gru does really, Drew does really well. Um, I've seen, like you mentioned, Jody and Russ, Christine. Uh, I think Ryan Lambert is finally finding his pace. Uh, not oh, that he hasn't angler. had it before, but like now he's just like, it seems like he can't not win. It seems like he's winning about well, everything he fishes. And as I hate to, because I the last person I want to like have this misinterpret is Ryan Lambert. Lunch money, I, I he's an awesome angler. I I love him. He has a great podcast. Dan Perry mentioned kind of something when he was on the podcast. Like his big wins have come in Tennessee, where he's from. I like to see Ryan Lambert win something out, and I'm not knocking on him. First of all, I'm not. A lot of people say, "Well, what have you done?" I've well, you and I. When we have talk about a podcast, we're here to talk about what we see. It's like Bob Costas, you know, he's not an Olympian, but he always covers the Olympians because that's his job. When we have a podcast, we we approach it as from a generalistic point of view, you know, like a broadcast and a play, yeah. an analysis. That doesn't mean that I'm even close to the level that Ryan Lambert is. But when you see when. But we do analyzing this. And uh, one of the things that I would love to see, and I'm a fan of Ryan Lambert, I like to see him win something outside of Tennessee, like a big tournament that people can say, you know what? It's not just in Tennessee that he's, that he's, you know, that he's taking your lunch money. It's other places too. And he's had success, but I think both of his, like his signature wins have been pretty much in Tennessee. If I remember correctly, there might be other signature wins outside of Tennessee that I, that I don't recall. But, you know, that's something that I love to see from Ryan Lambert. And again, from a standpoint of I'm a, I'm a fan of what Ryan Lambert is doing, both his podcast, um, his overall demeanor, you know, kind of thing that, that he doesn't, you know, shy away from what he thinks and he what he wants to say. Um, and his mentality, how it shows on his tournaments on the water. So from a standpoint of a fan of Ryan Lambert, I like to see that. So... Nobody else can say, hey, well, you know what's just in Tennessee. 
you know, he can yeah. do it some other places too. If it's a river system or it has some sort of current involved, I think Ryan's pretty much guaranteed in that top five just because he's so yeah. good and current. Um, I think he's somebody I'm afraid of when it comes to Possum Kingdom because Possum is a river system, believe it or not. Um, well, actually, you obviously, you obviously know that. Because yeah, it is. But the big – the I think the best bite in Possum Kingdom is below its dam, and I don't think that's going to be accessible uh, for tournament fishing waters. No, but there's that's also some creeks and rivers on that thing that have obvious moving yeah. current that yeah. can play. It's just who is willing to make that far of a trek, Yeah, which – if there's someone that's going to do it, Possum Kingdom is going to show out. I think Possum Kingdom is going to show out. I'm glad they moved that out of Louisville. I am so excited. Let me tell you, man. Oh, my gosh. I already got my plan in place. Uh, I'm going to live and die by it already. But, dude, it's going to be me. I'm just going to put out it, me being an offshore guy and the research that I've done. Oh my gosh, I am going to be in heaven with what I've found out there. Uh, granted, if there's fish not there, I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm going to sound like an idiot for those who listen to this and then watch me probably zero on both days. But... Nah, you're not going to zero, man. <laughs> but, uh, it, dude, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great, fun. and it's going to be big names out there. Like The top anglers are going to be out there. Yeah. You know? and, I'm looking uh, forward it, to that. It's, anybody can win it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you got the local guy. You, you got to think Matt Scotch, Guillermo are going to be favorites going into that spot. I'm sure. They they got to be favorites. I mean, but again, like you said, Ryan Lambert, great angler. I love to see Ryan. Um, I would love to see Ryan Lambert win that just because, you know, puts him right there in the conversation with some of the best right now. Um, but, yeah, Guillermo Gonzalez is the – He's mad scotch. It's, that's going to be a hard. That's not going to be like Lake Fork. Lake Fork fish very differently, especially after that uh, really bad uh, winter storm that we had. It kind of changed the plan for everybody. And I mentioned this before. If Guillermo Gonzalez was only Texan in the top 11, um, and I'm not going to call out names, but there were good Texas anglers that got skunk on Lake Fork, which I, I, that surprised me. Some of the names out there is like, this guy got skunk. He's one of the best anglers we have here in Texas. Um, I might not say the name because I don't want to sound like I'm um, throwing a jab at it. Um, but I think now that that inclement weather is way back in the past and it's going to be those hot summer days, although it's not going to be as hot as, as July and August. People think all oh, summer in Texas. Yes, it is, but it's mostly August especially um, mid-August, that's really bad. Uh, June and July, it's not, especially June, it's usually not that bad. Although you do have some Junes that, you know, we had a couple of years. When I really got into fishing, we had a May that we were in the 100 degrees for like three or four days in May. And then in August, I don't think we broke 100 degrees on any day in August that year. So it's it can be weird, you know. But traditionally, June is actually not that bad. It should be great. It should be great. Um, again, I got to think some of the local guys over here got the edge on that. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty good. It's going to be interesting to yeah. see what's going down in that place. But it's uh, I'm pre- I get pretty excited every time I think about that event just for what I think could transpire. And I think what's cool is there's not a lot of information on the place, which I think can play into some yeah. people's favor. 
Definitely. Well, Bailey, I know you've worked today. You fished today. You're in Eastern time. So for you, it's a lot later than it is for me. So thank you for coming to the show. Before I let you go, any shout outs, plugs, shameless plugs you want to do? Um, yeah, sure. Um, for those, if you're still listening in and um, we haven't bored you feeling, to death yet. <laughs> uh, if you guys are feeling generous, check out the Serious Angler podcast. Um, yes. You can check us out on YouTube. We don't just put out podcasts. We put out fishing videos and different instructional videos, unboxings, whatever, whatever have you. We put stuff out like that, so check it out. Um, you can check out the podcast on MP, any MP3, you know, pod, like um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that jazz. Um, but other than that, dude, um, not much going on besides the uh, tournament here next uh, coming up this Saturday uh, for the NYKBF. And uh, that's pretty much about it. Awesome, man. So go check it out. Serious Angler Podcast live every Monday. Yes, sir. Right? Perfect. Oh well, yeah. I guess uh, I guess something to kind of note. Uh, we usually go three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We are going down to Monday and Friday only. We are going down to two episodes a week, um, but Monday's shows are now going to be about two hours long, an hour and a half wow. to two and a half hours. Um, so we're gonna have the same airtime. We're just going down less less an episode to Andrew and I. Andrew having a kid and a wife, you know, job starting yep. a guide business. Uh, me getting a new job. It's just something that like. We need a little bit more time to do other things, to edit more videos and stuff like that. So yeah, going down quality over quantity. Exactly. So every Monday night live, um, every Monday we'll be live um, starting at eight o'clock Eastern and then we'll have a pre-recorded for everybody on Friday. Definitely. Congratulations to Andrew. I got to get Andrew on this show. I need to talk to him. I'll send him a message. But that definitely. Would be congratulations to Andrew. If you congratulations to you once again on your engagement. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. No problem. Well, for those out sure. there listening, thank you for listening to the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast on the Panel and Fit Network. We do appreciate it. If you're going to go out fishing, please wear your PFDs. Take the necessary precautions. Make sure you get your family safe. Also, check out Douglas Rods, douglasoutdoors.com to check out their full lineup. Have a great night, everybody. Or have a great day, whatever the case may be. Peace out. Tight lines. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Fin on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button, and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water. Every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.